Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by Transfer Window regulars Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, is Antoine Griezmann the player that will set in motion a domino effect of huge transfers across Europe's biggest clubs? After an unprecedented three Champions League Cups, Zinedine Zidane has left Real Madrid. We bring you the inside story. And as Roman Abramovich is denied a visa, Antonio Conte continues to fume and Chelsea put on hold their plans for a £1 billion stadium, we asked, are they now a club in crisis? Okay, we're going to start with Antoine Griezmann, the France and Atletico Madrid centre-forward, striker, number 10, however you want to position him in that team, potentially moving on. Duncan, is there any substance to this? We've heard about Barcelona, we've heard other teams being interested, Manchester United last year, of course. Do you feel that Griezmann is going to be on the move? That's the question that a lot of people are asking at the moment. It's a very similar situation to last year in that Manchester United um, did a lot of work before the transfer window ever opened to try and set up a deal with Griezmann. Um, to take advantage of the 100 million euro release clause that he has in his contract. Um, they thought that player was going to come to the club and in the end he changed his mind and signed a new contract at Atletico. This year it's been Barcelona that have been doing all the groundwork to try and set up a deal with Griezmann and Barcelona thought they had the player. In fact, the player had uh, verbally committed to joining them in the summer. However, over the last um, few weeks, Griezmann's got cold feet. He has been offered a contract by Atletico that's um, several million euros a year more valuable than the one that Barcelona offer him, are offering him, which is already a huge um, deal. And uh, he is he's in two minds. Um, he feels that long term, uh, he, will, he wants to be a Ballon d'Or candidate, um, he wants to be a FIFA World Player of the Year candidate and he feels that that's not something he can achieve at Atletico Madrid. So at some point in his career, he needs to move to a club of the dimension of Barcelona um, to put himself on the stage to be recognised as the best player in the world, which shows his ambition. However, he's not entirely sure that this is the right time to go to Barcelona. Um, because he has people telling him that Atletico, the attack is built around you. Um, you're the star man. Uh, you'll continue to perform well there. And the people telling that include the French national team manager, Didier Deschamps. Um, and if you go to Barcelona, you're never going to be the star man as long as Lionel Messi's there. Um, not only is Lionel Messi there, you've also got Luis Suarez to deal with and um, potentially... Uh, Philip Coutinho is an issue for you depending on how he's used next season and, and what his status becomes in the team. So Barcelona actually put themselves in a difficult position here. Um, I was talking to a contact uh, close to the club this week and they said that it looks like another 
big error that Barcelona have made in the transfer market in that they did this work to secure a player of, of that talent. They got him to verbally agree to come, but they didn't get a formal um, legal agreement with him where he was obliged to join. And if he didn't join, he would be uh, financially liable for not joining, which is something that clubs will use in this situation to cover themselves because obviously they have a big investment in making these transfers happen after they've planned around them and done the initial work on them. So it's it's a difficult time for Barcelona and an interesting time to see whether Griezmann has, is prepared to, to make that jump this summer. I don't think anyone questioned Griezmann's talent on the pitch, but I would question his courage, his personality. He had the opportunity to go to Manchester United a year ago and almost have an attack built around him uh, by Jose Mourinho um, at Old Trafford and at the last minute reneged to stay at Atletico Madrid who offered him a new contract. It's a case of deja vu um, as far as Barcelona are, are concerned now. Clearly that he's having second thoughts with joining them. Is he better off where he, where he is because he's the star man? He's not going to be questioned with regards to his place in the team, etc, etc. And for someone as talented as Griezmann, I'm disappointed. I have to say, I'm disappointed that he's he seems to be, you know, uh, saying Scott Louis scared the cat, you know, Antoine scared the cat. He, he doesn't, <laughs> I think, feel secure in in his own ability and talent that he can make the step up and challenge Suarez and Messi to be the best player. He wasn't challenging anyone at Manchester United. Let's face it, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic then maybe, but he was injured. Marcus Rashford, um, Anthony Martial, you know, he could definitely be the star man in Manchester United already. Could have played a season there. And yet he turned that opportunity down. So if I'm, a, if I'm a coach right now of any team in that elite list, uh, which Barcelona and Manchester United are, I'd be saying, can we actually trust this guy's nerve? Can we trust his personality? Is he able to make that step up? Because he seems to me to be keep turning down, or certainly in the case of Manchester United, he did. <clears throat> but now in the case of Barcelona, he is swithering again and asking himself, is the right move for me? Is it not? And I just think to myself, do you know what? Mm, I'm not sure that's a player I want in my team. Does this kickstart a domino effect across Europe if Griezmann moves on? It does, because of the amount of money involved, Johnny. Absolutely. I mean, you're looking at a release clause of, I think, around £89 million. Obviously, it, the, it won't be the same inflatory price paid for Coutinho or Dembele or Neymar uh, of last summer or last January. Um, but that kind of money invested means that replacements are required, etc., etc. What's very interesting is that, you know, I was told that Thomas Lamar's representatives had had three meetings with Atletico Madrid officials about uh, moving there in this window. Um, and obviously that would have been a more or less like-for-like -like replacement for Griezmann. So clearly Atletico expected Griezmann to move and they were willing to reinvest in money immediately in Thomas Lamar, younger and French, obviously also French, very, very exciting prospect. Play can play either side of an attacking midfield or can play through the middle as well as a 10 um, and could learn more younger than Griezmann, as I said. So um, it is the kind of thing which can you know, light the, 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 the sort of um, the fire of the transfer window in terms of um, the investment made because once the money starts to be spent, the money will continue to be spent and then momentum builds, etc., etc., which we've seen in lots of transfer windows in the past. What what you'd see there is if if um, if Griezmann went to Atletico and Atletico got Lamar as a replacement, which they will have competition for because we know he has admirers elsewhere in Europe, particularly in England. Um, 
if that money went to Monaco, then you really would see that reinvested amongst the, the kind of selection of um, good young players that Monaco take from the European leagues and um, sometimes from South America, bring over to their um, squad, play them, give them good wages to come there, play them uh, at, in a high level football with the view of selling them in the same way as they've sold Lamar a few years down the line. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a good example of the domino in that you get that money quite quickly distributed to a number of um, kind of second tier clubs um, and and some of the more talented players that the that the top clubs like Barcelona, Manchester United aren't prepared to to take a risk on at this stage. Well, moving from one side of Madrid to the other and to Zinedine Zidane, who left Real Madrid after winning an unprecedented, in terms of the Champions League era, three European Cups in a row. What's the story there, Duncan? Is there more to this than meets the eye? I, I think I think there is. I think um, it's been presented as um, Zinedine Zidane um, getting out and resigning and deciding he'd, he'd had enough. And there is, there's definitely an element of that. And we should say that it's something that um, Ian flagged up in the transfer window several months ago. We've had, we had a long discussion last year that, um, that Florentino Perez was ready to replace Zidane if he uh, didn't win the Champions League. And Ian pointed out that, um, that there was a possibility that Zidane would step away um, because he'd had enough of, uh, of being at, at the heart of that club, which we all know is one of the hardest in football to manage, despite the results. Um, what I'm told is that uh, Florentino Perez was planning to move Zidane out regardless. Um, it was, he was happy for it to go this way and it to be presented as, as the, the manager's decision. Um, that he was tired and he wanted to move elsewhere because it, it's um, from PR purposes that's that's much easier if it's the manager's choice rather than the president's choice to dismiss a coach who had just won as you point out three Champions Leagues in a, in a row. But the calculation on on Florentino's part was that this was a, a team that had effectively been out of the Spanish title race since November. I think they finished 17 points behind in third place. Um, they got knocked out of the Copa del Rey by a team that um, Leganes that spent that most of the season fighting relegation from um, from La Liga um, and a, one of the the minor Madrid teams as well to add uh, insult to that injury. Um, so he had calculated that the squad needed a new leader, um, regardless of what Zidane was going to do, and has been planning that for some time, and principle amongst the, the individuals he was looking at as re replacements is Mauricio Pochettino. Again, something we talked about in the transfer window through the season. Um, there have been meetings with Pochettino mm -hmm. and the people around him um, to sound him out and assess whether he, one, would be interested in taking the job this summer and two, would be the right candidate for what Florentino wanted to take Madrid on. As far as I'm concerned, that's still very much live. Um, there's been a lot of reporting that uh, Madrid have already given up on, on Pochettino. Uh, that's not what I'm told. I'm told there are still um, meetings to be had with Tottenham to discuss um, a, what kind of compensation package would be involved in getting Pochettino out of the, the contract that he um, signed just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and 
that's very, it's, it's very much the way Madrid and Florentino Perez act in these circumstances. He designs um, strategies for extracting individuals from clubs who he wants. We've seen it with Gareth Bale, we've seen it with Cristiano Ronaldo, um, we've seen it with De Gea, albeit unsuccessfully in, in that instance. Um, the idea that uh, he has spent a good part of the season planning to, to recruit Pochettino, that Zidane um, suddenly quits and that one day later Madrid give up on the idea of Pochettino because Daniel Levy has told them it's impossible doesn't strike me as particularly credible. It's not the way Madrid work. They know, Florentino knows that he has the whip hand here in the sense that it's Real Madrid. How, how often do you get offered the chance to become Real Madrid manager, particularly as a, as a Spanish-speaking coach? Um, and how difficult is it to retain a manager who wants to leave? We're not talking about retaining a player against his will. You can retain a player against his will and you can um, leave him on the bench, send him away on holiday for um, several weeks while the, the, the transfer issue is resolved, as we've seen, for example, with um, Coutinho last summer. A manager, you can't do that. Um, and if you retain a manager against his will, you can end up with a situation like Watford had with Marco Silva um, just a few months ago, in that they resisted a, a very large financial offer from Everton to take the manager and ended up sacking him um, a few weeks later because they felt the relationship and, and his ability to work with the club had completely fallen away. So I think this is a far more... Um, fluid and complicated uh, situation for Tottenham than has been reported and I think we might well see Pochettino eventually going to Madrid this summer. I do agree with you Duncan that <clears throat> in all my dealings um, with Real Madrid over the last 15-20 years I've found them to be um, a club who, which has a sense of entitlement which I think they can actually of all clubs back up with their record in terms of trophies and certainly in terms of European Cup wins uh, and the great players who've played for them, um, as well as the managers who've managed as well. Um, when Fontino Perez sets his mind on someone or, or a project, a plan, let's put it, he does not give up that easily after a day. Um, my experience also uh, in football tells me that when a manager signs a new contract, when he's got interest from a club which is at a greater level than they are, <clears throat> it's with a caveat, <clears throat> excuse me, that that works out better for both parties, i.e. Um, Tottenham can say, well, we did all we could to keep him because we gave him a new five-year contract. And Pochettino can say, I signed that contract in good faith uh, because the club really wanted me to stay, but who can turn down Real Madrid? And what we know about um, Daniel Levy's, um, not unique, but certainly um, incredibly uh, effective negotiating um, uh, prowess is that he will leave it until the very last minute, the last day. There is no transfer window, obviously, for managers changing clubs. But he will definitely get the best price in terms of compensation out of Real for Pochettino. They will present it then as too, too good an opportunity for, for Maurizio. Uh, we had to say, we had to let him go. And then, bang, it's a done deal. But what's happened... Interestingly, I think in the in the period up until now is the fact that he signed a new extended contract, which allows Spurs fans to go on their holidays and think that everything's fine. And I think you'll find on social media that they will shoot down anything else or otherwise that people say. Um, 
for the, I don't think many people know Real Madrid as well as, as perhaps the few do, and that is that they will be relentless in pursuit of the right person. Um, so I agree with Duncan. I don't think this is is over. I think it's far from over. I think it will continue, and I don't think we'll get very much movement on it until probably the latter stages of the World Cup when um, Madrid need to confirm the new boss. There's a, obviously always got to be a flip side to that, and I think Arsene Wenger would certainly take the job. I know, speaking to people at Real, that um, if they do fail, and there's still a chance they will fail in their, in their pursuit of Pochettino, that Wenger would be brought in on a one-year contract. He would not want to do that because it looks like short-term for him. It looks like he is a stopgap, but hey, that's exactly what Arsene Wenger would be. You know, At his age, they don't look to Wenger to lead the team for the next four to six years or even you know, next two years. So they'd be saying, yeah, we can get Pochettino uh, next summer if we do fail, and the chances are they could still. Um, then Wenger would be a good caretaker because he's experienced, um, he's very knowledgeable. He could go into that dressing room and command the respect that he needs to amongst those senior players. And, you know, let's face it, they couldn't have a worse season in the league than they've had um, last year so or last season. So the uh, situation is certainly fluid. <clears throat> I'd add one thing to the Zidane thing. In terms of the real reason from leaving, etc., etc., it's definitely the case that uh, senior officials at Real feared burnout, and I flagged this up in the transfer window in February, and they thought he might step down. I think there was an element of that with Zidane. He's still a relatively young manager, young coach. Uh, I think three seasons or two and a half seasons at the Bernabeu has taken its toll on him. Um, he's, he's been given the opportunity to walk out the door uh, as credibly as he possibly can do. Three European Cup wins, uh, which of course is unprecedented. But not only that, with the blessing of um, of Perez, who said he was, you know, the player I, I loved the most. He's the manager I loved the most, etc., etc. He wasn't the manager or player he loved the most when he was saying, "Stop, please!" This persistent pursuit of Neymar during the season. My players in that dressing room are going mental. I've got people like Ronaldo and Ramos who are, just do not want to be seen as the sideshow to some ex-Barcelona PSG failure. And so he kept saying to, to Perez, stop this, please. Just stop now and give my team the chance to be what they can be. And then you can sort this out in the summer if you like. So all this stuff about, it's been appearing in the papers about, oh, he wanted De Gea, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he, didn't, he wanted Hazard. And it's, it wasn't, it was about Neymar. As far as I, I'm told, it was the, this persistent public linking of Neymar with Real Madrid and the battle that that produced, which led Zidane to say, Do you know what, I'm not in control of this anymore. Uh, you take on the team, Mr. Perez. I'm not interested. Does Zidane leave Duncan as the greatest Real Madrid figure in their history? I know that that's a bold claim, given some of the names, looking back, Alfredo Di Stefano and people like that, but given what he's now achieved as a manager and what he achieved as a player, is that a realistic assessment of his time at the club? I think that would be a discussion for Real Madrid um, fans, uh, who they think uh, the greatest greatest figure in, in their history is um, obviously to have achieved what he, he did on the pitch and to have achieved what, what he did as a coach um, is incredible. Um, certainly unprecedented from a coach in the, in the modern era. Um, if, if you ask me who I think the, the greatest um, figure in, the, in Real Madrid's recent era has been, I would have to go for Cristiano Ronaldo because of, of the... the but Duncan, Duncan, hang, hang on. Bet, Th- Thomas Gravison, surely Thomas Gravison. 
he had the best haircut. Yeah, he did. He, <laughs> did. he does get bonus points for that. And, for and people that don't know, he was follically challenged. They can just Google him, Johnny. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Zidane, I think we've discussed this on on the, the podcast before. There, there is a feeling amongst other coaches in the game. We will find out. Zidane's true qualities as a coach stroke manager when he takes his next job um, because he has been blessed with uh, certainly the deepest high quality squad that any manager has had in in the modern era I think Pep Guardiola's Barcelona squad was the most talented um, and best suited to uh, what Guardiola was trying to do as a coach but what that Madrid squad that's won these three Champions Leagues in a row has had so many options, so much quality, um, that you have to assess what Zidane has done in the light of what he had on the pitch, what was built for him in terms of a playing style before he arrived there. And the test will be, can you put him in another club with almost certainly weaker resources? Um, and how does he handle that situation? What does what does he provide in the field? And, and it'll be interesting to see what he wants to do as his next job and whether he wants to be a, a top-level Champions League manager for any sustained period of time because it, he kind of had to be persuaded to take on that role in the first place. He, um, he, he never struck me as someone who, who had identified coaching as his long-term future in football and was desperate to do that. So um, maybe it's better to assess from an, a neutral point of view whether he's, he's the greatest figure in, in Madrid's history after, after he's um, managed another club. I think in that sense, Duncan, he was much more Sir Alex Ferguson than he was Jose Mourinho. Um, you know, from what I'm told from players who played under Zidane um, at Madrid and also um, other members of staff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're right. He had a very, very talent, talented, but also very deep um, squad in terms of their quality. <clears throat> and a bit like Fergie, he knew in his mind his best team, and he would basically send them out there and say, "Look, just win the game, okay? And then if we hit a couple of problems or bumps on the road, then we'll try and deal with them." But there was never this sort of forensic Jose Mourinho-esque um, preparation, um, and part of that. You know, is what influenced, uh, I think, Gareth Bale's sort of uh, opinion of Zidane, where he didn't like the training methods. He 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 thought they were very sporadic and based around four or five individuals who needed certain things at certain times. And I think Bale's future at Madrid is now very interesting, not just because obviously he questioned it himself openly, which he never does in the immediate aftermath of the Champions League win, but also because. Um, Bale, I think, who would rather stay in Madrid, would like to see a coach who comes in who may be a little more, uh, let's just say, organised um, rather than off the cuff than Zidane was. And I think we've got an interesting situation at the Bernabeu this summer where obviously you've got Ronaldo, Bale, and possibly a couple of others as well, Benzema maybe, considering their futures or, or maybe actively seeking to leave and go elsewhere, which again, as we spoke about with regards to Griezmann, would you know, like the touch paper in the transfer window in terms of um, those players either leaving or joining other clubs and therefore freeing up the um, 
not just the resources of the transfer fee, but also the contracts, which would then be null and void, uh, which are obviously worth a lot of money as well. I'm told that Florentino's plan is to uh, dispense with at least one of of that trio of Benzema, Ronaldo and Bale. Um, I think you're absolutely right that Bale's ultimate decision, if he has a decision to make, i.e. if there is a bid that's acceptable to Madrid for him, will depend on who the new coach is and and whether the coach can convince him that he'll give him the status within the team uh, that he's looking for. And I think it's not just about status within the team. um, Bale's been interesting in that for a long time he's resisted leaving Madrid. He's been happy in the city. Uh, He's been happy playing golf around his football. He's been happy being away from the English media, um, mostly. Um, and this summer is different in that he's actively pursuing a move. As you say, he talked about it after the Champions League final. He went into those last six or seven games of the season, having been instructed by people close to him that he needed to market himself and scored um, a lot of goals in uh, not that much playing time, including the two uh, spectacular goals in the Champions League final. Um but it's not so much status in the team, it's the, the fact he was scapegoated through the year. So he was he was picked as the the fall guy, um, as the, the individual for the, the Madrid and Spanish media to go after and question about application, um, injury record, whether he was the right man for the, the club. And he didn't enjoy that. And that's that has um, motivated him to to say, yes, I am prepared to move and allow his agents to market him to other clubs. Um, Manchester United are definitely interested. Uh, Mourinho tried to sign him last summer, uh, was quite open about that um, in press conferences at the start of the season. Bale resisted, didn't do anything to help or facilitate the move, so it became impossible. Um, If Madrid say yes to it, which they're likely to, and if Bale says yes to it, which is open to question, then that will necessitate um, a a redrawing of of Manchester United's transfer plans because they didn't go into the summer expecting to be signing a a player, of an attacking player of his status. Alexis Sanchez was the the January signing of of a player of that status. But Bale as it's explained to me, changes the dynamic in that this is the kind of level of player that Ed Woodward wants to bring to the club. He has huge marketing potential for the club. Um, he will. He is confident of getting the Glazers to approve the huge finances involved in getting him. So Madrid are going to ask for 100 million euros. Maybe Manchester United will be able to negotiate that down. Maybe not. And Madrid and uh, sorry, and Bale is on um, a net salary of 12 million euros. So you're looking at bringing in a player on the top wage at the club alongside Pogba and Sanchez. Um, obviously, if you do that on the budget that had been set aside for Mourinho initially, he's not he's not going to have money to reinforce everywhere in midfield uh, and defence that he planned to. So there'll be a discussion there of yes, I would like to have Bale. If you can do it, please do it. But I also still need money to reinforce other areas of the team because tactically we've got to get a better defence and we've got to do um, something to our midfield if we're to have the rounded team necessary to compete with Manchester City for the title next season. 
Don, can you just can you just clear something up there with regards to Bale's wages? Because there's been a lot of chat about six hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, and you said twelve million that would put him on a, the same level as Sanchez and Pogba. What what is Bale's salary? So this basic salary at Real Madrid is twelve million euros after tax. Right. According according to um, people close to him, he is uh, earning with bonuses and um, image rights included nearer 600,000 euros a week gross. So he's not, he's not at the top end. Um, he's not on Messi, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo money, but he is at the top end as far as Manchester United are concerned. And, and, and more tellingly, <coughs> if you were to talk to Gareth Bale's representatives two or three months ago, in a in a, a moment when they were prepared to be open about it, they would probably have told you that they felt it would be very difficult to get their client out of Madrid this summer because of, one, the cost on transfer fee, and two, the degree of salary, and three, his status in the game at that period. So you're essentially looking at Manchester United and, and Bayern Munich um, as possibly Paris Saint-Germain if they didn't have FFP problems as, as outs who could afford that kind of money. But would they be ready to do it given the way he'd performed that season? That picture has been changed by what happened in the last um, you know, three, four weeks of the season and his performance is there. Suddenly he's become marketable again. Suddenly there is a clamour amongst the supporters of Manchester United and of Tottenham for that matter that, that he'd be brought back to the Premier League, um, which makes it easier uh, for those agents to do their job. I think if, <clears throat> what might be interesting, Johnny, here is um, something which uh, I think was all very retro in the modern transfer market, which happened just in January, and that was the um, re-application of the swap deal, which negated the, the transfer fee when um, Sanchez moved to Manchester United and uh, the Irish legend Mick Otarian moved to Arsenal. Um, so I think, you know, in that sense, would Madrid, would they maybe consider 100 million for Pogba, 100 million for Bale? Would Manchester United consider it? Pogba seems to me to be a very troubled character um, in the last few weeks and months who I don't think has gotten over his spat with Jose Mourinho over where he should play. Um, I'm not sure that Real Madrid are that necessarily interested in Pogba in terms of their long-term plan, but clearly if a coach who came in to replace Zidane had an interest in Pogba and thought that he could make him work in a Real Madrid midfield, which, let's face it, is ageing with Luka Modric. Um, didn't show any signs of it, obviously, in Champions League final, but <clears throat> needs to be replaced long-term. Um, maybe Pogba would be someone uh, who could be part of a deal that brought Bale to Old Trafford, and I'm not sure that Jose Mourinho would be that sad to see Pogba go if it meant he was getting bail and put in in sort of his place. But in saying that, you then have to, and Duncan's pointed out um, by inference that it looks like United will lose Fellaini. They've lost Carrick obviously because he's retired. So at the moment, the Manumatic is the you know the the one absolute essential central midfielder to start for Manchester next season, and a Herrera may well or not become another. But at the moment, at this moment in time, 
it looks like United are going to have to recruit in central midfield regardless. So, yeah, I think it's been an interesting summer for both um, Real Madrid and Manchester United, which, of course, makes it very interesting for us. Does it have an impact on Alexis Sanchez if Bale was to sign for Manchester United? I mean, where would... Where would the setup? What would the setup be for uh, Jose Mourinho if he was going to play both those players in the same Manchester United team? I think that that's one of the reasons that Bale works for Manchester United in a way that Cristiano Ronaldo wouldn't. Um, and Cristiano Ronaldo has also been a, a consideration in terms of Real Madrid being prepared to move him out and Manchester United being interested in taking him. Bale can play right wing. Alexis plays left wing. Lukaku plays centre forward, so you get all three of your, you know, superstar attackers in the same lineup without particular complication. Bale's also left left-footed, and and as we've said on the on the podcast multiple times, United don't have a left-footed winger in the squad, so you're you're kind of ticking two boxes with that. He's also physically strong and and tall, which, as we discussed, you know, the other week has been one of the considerations for for Jose in terms of the possibility, the distinct possibility that Marouane Fellaini is not going to accept the terms of an offer at Manchester United. Um, he wants um, another top player in the squad and Bale can't do exactly what Fellaini um, does, but it, he'd rather have a tall uh, attacker in, uh, in addition uh, than, than have a smaller one. Um, we talk about Fellaini, um, that's an interesting situation in that he's been threatening to leave for a long time and he's been pushing um, for uh, a very big contract um, to, to remain there. He's made it clear that he wants to stay at Manchester United. Um, you've seen multiple stories about other clubs being interested in him. Uh, Milan uh, was one of the recent ones and yesterday we saw that Arsenal are... are uh, going to have discussions with him. That that's true. There will be a meeting with Arsenal. Whether they are prepared to give Fellaini the money he wants is another matter. What I'm told is he doesn't actually have an offer of the scale he's looking for from any club at the moment, which is why he might, in the end, be forced to back down and compromise on the money. And, And Manchester United seem to be clear that they're not going to pay Fellaini what he's asking for, which has left Mourinho in a quandary and that he's got to fill the tactical hole in his squad if he does leave. Maybe I'm misguided then, Doctor. Maybe it's Fellaini to Real Madrid as part exchange for Bale <laughs> in a, a Gravison esque type coup. Well, I was listening in on my holiday last week, guys, and uh, once again, kudos for the Diogo Dallo story, which uh, looks to all intents and purposes to be going through, as we said, and of course, uh, the Fred story, which once again, we broke initially at the start of the year. Is this a further proof that Jose Mourinho is going to get the funds to go out there and rebuild this team even further? He's definitely going to get the funds to rebuild further. There's no question about that. Um, the question is how much he gets and to what extent he can rebuild. Um, Fred is going to be the best part of 60 million euros, um, which is a release clause from Shakhtar. So that's um, a relatively expensive signing. But they've got his first choice in that area in terms of a, a player who can knit defence and midfield together and he will 
if Pogba remains, which it, which you know, as of last week was the plan, um, the midfield starting midfield will be Fred um, Pogba on the left hand side and, and Matic holding. The low is more of a compromise signing in that they're going there for uh, a full back that they think. Um, from their scouting has the potential to be one of the top fullbacks in the world in the next few years. Um, so they've they, again, and, and this is this is an an important factor in this transfer business for Manchester United. It's a release clause signing, and you've you've seen Jose Mourinho complaining about the inflation of fees and the difficulty United have agreeing fees with clubs, and that, that's why they've identified guys like Griezmann who had a defined fee which 100 million seemed a lot last summer, but now doesn't seem so much. Um, Fred, again, a defined fee, and Delow, a defined fee. So they can get them in for set prices and then add them and build the squads through them. So Delow's job will be to pressure Valencia and to take pressure off Valencia in the sense that Valencia won't have to play as many games at age 32 as he did this season. And then hopefully... Um, develop into the starting right back in a year or two's time, but they still need a starter and an exp and he will be expensive a starting left back. Um, they still need, I think, another another centre back um, and ideally a starting centre back, leader centre back who can who can be the the, the pivotal figure in that defence. Um, you add Gareth Bale on top of that and. Um, you know, that's a lot of money for one summer. Um, I do think that it's, it's important here to make a statement transfer uh, window. Uh, um, I think that the ease with which Manchester City won the Premier League um, has caused an awful lot of, um, let's just say, pain and frustration amongst United fans who are used to being top of that particular tree, never mind top of Manchester. And um, Mourinho knows that. He knows that... Um, what the fans want and aspire to is um, paramount to his own um, longevity uh, in the job. Uh, I think he is already putting pressure on the Glazers and Edward Wood with regards to the funds he has available. Um, a statement signing, never mind a statement window, would be Gareth Bale, I suspect. Um, but I do think just as important, if not more important, as Duncan's pointed out, would be a lead, leading centre-half, someone who could... Um, command the defence, the back four properly. He's not yet achieved that, and the fact that they finished the season with um, you know players like Jones and Smalling at centre back it says a, an awful lot about uh, let's just say the paucity of options that United have had in terms of defence. But they still finished second, <clears throat> and they still had um, I think clean sheets second only to. Manchester City. So uh, the defence, while needing um, upgrading, doesn't doesn't need to be completely torn apart. So I think that's just as important as finding that attacking balance that Duncan described, which you would, you would get if you had Bale, um, Sanchez, and uh, Lukaku through the middle in a four-three-three. Well, if there's going to be a lot of comings and goings at Manchester United this summer, there certainly seems to be similar down the road. At Chelsea. We've got Roman Abramovich having his issues with the, the UK government, having to get an Israeli citizenship. We've got the issues with uh, Antonio Conte, who looks to be deeply unhappy and is 
heavily tipped if you've been listening to this podcast since the very beginning to be moving on. And you've got some issues with some players with regards to if they want to stay or not. Ian, are Chelsea now a crisis club? We used to have um, <clears throat> a bit of a joke, uh, Johnny, in, in newspapers uh, when the printed edition was as important as the online one, where if, you know you put a cracked badge on the uh, on the subhead, then you knew it was Crisis Club. Um, I think the cracked badge is probably very much there for Chelsea right now, uh, for several reasons. <clears throat> we know that, um, and we've talked about it for a long time, about Antonio Conte being unhappy. He will certainly leave, and. Um, the only reason he's not left yet or has not been announced is because his lawyers have been in negotiation with Chelsea's lawyers and Chelsea's administrators with regards to what the compensation package will be. Chelsea preferred to pay him to put him on guarding leave for the final year of his contract, whereas Conte is confident of getting a new job and therefore wants a one-off payment, uh, which will see him earn at least 75% of the final year of his contract. Not earn, but be paid that and then go into a new job, which obviously he expects to pay him at least the same, if not more. However, two new, um, let's just say, uh, ooh, problems, uh, depths of crisis have hit Chelsea in the past 10 days. One was the refusal of the British uh, government, the Home Office, to renew his working visa uh, for this country, which led to an immediate response by Chelsea of uh, shelving plans for the £1 billion investment in the new stadium, which I am told very reliably um, was on the word of Abramovich himself, who said, I'm not going to invest this kind of money in a country which won't allow me to work or stay here. Remember, he's got children uh, who are at school in England um, and are very much based um, in England and don't want to leave. So um, if his visa for working is not regranted um, or reinstated, then his ability to live here will also be affected. Um, and that would affect his children as well. Now, at this point, you've got sort of, you know, let's just say uncertainty at the top in terms of a brand, which will he stay, will he go? You've got chaos in terms of the manager. So you've got, you've gone from chairman owner to second most important employee, the manager, whose future is, you know, certainly, you know, going one way, and that is he's going out the door. And then what happens? You get a player who has been central to the spine of the team in Thibaut Courtois, who has been in negotiations over a new contract for at least four or five months now, saying that they've ended contract negotiations with Chelsea. Now, that's got to be worrying if you're a Chelsea fan, because you say to yourself, OK, you know, we've got uncertainty in two major positions, and then goalkeeper, which is a very important position as well, also comes up. And Courtois, who's been obviously the subject of interest from Real Madrid, but also, I understand, interest from elsewhere as well, um, says that, well, I'm not going to um, negotiate now. Now, you could say, well, this is a, a negotiating tactic. He's called off negotiations because he's going to work up with Belgium. He wants to concentrate on that. If he has a fabulous tournament, then Chelsea are going to be forced to make a better offer. Or, and I think this is the actual reason, he's absolutely sick, fed up of the nonsense at Chelsea. The politics, the chaos, the constant changing of managers. He just thinks, you know what, I'd rather be somewhere else where... You know, maybe I can concentrate on my football rather than you know picking up the paper every morning and seeing that there's just yet another thing going wrong at the club. So I think this is a very big summer for Chelsea in terms of um, their playing staff. They clearly aren't good enough to challenge the Premier League as they've showed last season or the Champions League. Um, they've got an owner who is 
you know, effectively in vacillation about what, what his next step is. And you've got this whole controversy over the manager leaving. Personally, I think they'll be, end up being backed into a corner and having been forced to point um, Luis Enrique because there's no one else out there who can possibly do the job and do it quickly and do it properly. Um, it's, not, it's something they've already looked at. Uh, they lost Ancelotti to Napoli because Napoli decided that, uh, sorry, Ancelotti decided that, the, the, again, the chaos at Chelsea was too much for him, um, given that he was sacked after two seasons and winning a double there the last time. So Chelsea are a club who, yeah, that crack badge, just get up there on the subhead or get it on the podcast. I think with Chelsea at this stage, it's worth looking at the bigger picture of Roman Abramovich. Um, I actually started reporting um, in England in the summer of 2003. And I remember being across a reporting desk from Ian when he was breaking story after story about Abramovich's takeover of Chelsea and where they'd be spending the money and what he was going to do next. And everyone trying to work out who this man was and why he'd bought Chelsea. And the story that was sold at the time was that He'd fallen in love with football, watching a, a Manchester United-Real Madrid game um, and decided he had to buy a club in England. And um, uh, In the end, he landed on Chelsea after having looked at, at various clubs and it, and it was about his love of football. And there's an element in that story that's correct and that his enthusiasm for football was incredible in the early years at Chelsea to the point at which he was... Um, on the, the day before Jose Mourinho was sacked as Chelsea manager, he descended to the Chelsea dressing room after a 1-1 Champions League draw against Rosenberg to instruct the players on how they should have played the game. Um, so his involvement and passion and obsession was, um, was great at that stage. However, that involvement and passion has declined down the years. And what you've seen or what you've seen more of is the other reason why he bought Chelsea for the first place, which was as an insurance policy against Putin's Russia. Um, we know that oligarchs in Russia are in a fragile position, despite the money they've, uh, they've made from the, the breakup of the Soviet Union, and they need to stay on side with the, the president of Russia. What Abramovich did very cleverly was to make himself a public figure, a worldwide public figure, by buying an English football club, by becoming associated with that club, by getting a visa to live in the UK, to, by moving his residence there, and gave himself a degree of distance from Putin with that, which he had in addition to being one of Putin's helpers in Russia on a political perspective in terms of helping to, to pay for the World Cup to come to Russia terms of helping the Russian football team, in terms of putting money into Russian football. What I think we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that insurance policy side of Chelsea Football Club effectively disappearing for Roman Abramovich. He's had his um, investor visa status removed by the UK government as part of uh, broader American-UK sanctions against uh, Russian oligarchs and ultimately against Putin. Um, he's reacted by immediately going to Israel and taking up Israeli citizenship. So he has a, an alternative residence away from Russia, an alternative um, passport. 
uh, out, out of Russia. And what, four days later, he pulls out of the biggest investment of his entire time at Chelsea. So the, the, the cost of that stadium at £1 billion pounds is roughly equivalent to the amount of money he put into the entire Chelsea project from 2003 uh, to now. So is Roman Abramovich about to pull the plug on the whole Chelsea project? I can't tell you that I know that. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to people close to him to see whether that's the way things are going. But if I was a Chelsea supporter, I would certainly consider it as a possibility. Because in this situation, if he's prepared to pull the plug that suddenly on a stadium project, which has already cost significant funds to get to the stage it, it's got to, um, and was supposed to be the kind of evidence of his long-term... Legacy, in, Duncan. Legacy. Yeah, legacy. To the, that's right. Legacy. That's how it was presented. Legacy to Chelsea Football Club. If he's prepared to do that in the space of one week, then would it be a surprise if he was to say, well, here's a football club that I've built to this level. It basically breaks even at the moment. It's in London. It's a Champions League club most of the time. It's a contender for the Premier League quite often. Um, I think I can raise a billion pounds by selling this um, and let someone else deal with the problems which Chelsea always cause. It's always a, a problem for Marina Granovskaya to deal with and, and ultimately referred back to him on, a, on essentially an annual basis and, uh, and concentrate his energies elsewhere. I think it's important as well, Duncan, just to note quickly, um, <clears throat> before we move on to the legends of quickfire around Johnny, that um, if Abramovich sold Chelsea now, he would get five times the money he paid for it. So, you know, it's not exactly been, uh, uh, OK, he's invested a billion pounds there or thereabouts in um, the club over the course of the years, but he'll probably get that much. He'll probably break even, if not slightly in profit, to sell it now. So uh, as a businessman and as a, you know, a, a big sort of, uh, statement to the UK government for the way that he feels he's been treated, then that's, you know, good attempt. And... Well, what's the absolute latest that Chelsea can deal with this Conte situation? Because we're starting to get into the point where you're starting to think about pre-season plans, so, you know, obviously signings, yeah. well, all Johnny, that should have been going on in the background. So, as I said to you earlier, this is, you know, let, let me just be very clear with this. This was just um, a, a very casual conversation I had with someone connected to the club so I'm not saying that this is truth or whatever or you know direct information but apparently um, the idea that they could simply employ someone above Conte as manager because his title is head coach um, and force him to make decision of whether or not he wants to go to court for um, constructive dismissal or just literally take the smaller payment that they're now offering was something which has been discussed by certain people at the club that's how bitter and twisted it's got. Usually, Chelsea just forked the money out, as we've seen with manager after manager. But with Conte uh, and in the current climate that we've just been talking about with Roman Abramovich, he doesn't want to just throw money away to sack another manager. He wants to do it in a way that he feels is fair for him or for the club, so not just pay up the contract, etc., etc. So the idea that they could actually literally appoint someone else above him might even be a possibility. I don't think that's going to happen, and I should be clear about that. I think it will be negotiated. I wouldn't say amicably, but certainly will be negotiated to the point where um, Conte will leave and the new manager will come in. But I think in the current climate, nothing can be ruled out. Mm. It, it, 
Johnny, it's an economic decision, and, and that tells you where, where Chelsea are as a club. Um, it's in, in the oligarch billionaire perspective, it's penny pinching over what will be about a 10 million um, euro yeah. compensation package to Conte and, and his assistants. But Conte wants out, and Conte is refusing to uh, leave without getting his payment uh, as long as he doesn't have a, a better job that he wants to do um, to go to. And Chelsea don't want to pay him off because they, because they have been at war with him for over a year now. Um, you know, Marina Granovskaya, if she had had her way, I am told, would have got rid of Conte last summer. But it was impossible to do because he just won the Premier League. And even Chelsea can't do that from a PR perspective. So that this is long, long running dispute. But why have, hasn't the, the sack come? And you know, Conte himself is waiting for that sack to come, and he's in the dark as to when it's going to come. He knows it's going to come, but he's in the dark as to when it's going to come. Why hasn't it come? Because Granovskaya and Chelsea were hoping that he would get a job elsewhere, so they didn't have to pay him off. It's as simple as that. They're delaying the appointment of the next manager because they're hoping they can save 10 million euros on on by not having to sack Conte. But as as things have panned out, as and this is kind of a, of their own making, as Conte's status in the world came as de declined because of the conflict with Chelsea over transfers and the very open conflict, it's become increasingly likely that he's not going to get a top job this summer. And he's so angry with the club that he's prepared to sit it out and make them pay him for a year while he waits for a top job to appear. Spoken like a true sensualist there, Duncan. Um, right, <laughs> <laughs> You have, to, you have you to get the reference. Please see Twitter. <laughs> yes, um, you, have what, you have to explain to me what essentialist is, Johnny. It's not. It's, it's a new word it, for me. No one's ever called me it essentialist. Isn't it some kind of massage guru? <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to the quickfire round. I'm going to give you some stars that could move on in the World Cup window, and you can tell me whether or not you think they will actually make that big money move. We're going to start with Duncan and Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, that's a tough one. Um, his situation is is very much open. Um, pushing Real Madrid for the contract he feels he deserves, um, which would be equivalent or better money to Lionel Messi and Neymar. Um, resistance from Real Madrid to give him that contract. They wanted, they only want to improve his wages um, on a performance-related basis, which he considers an insult. Uh, other clubs have been looking at him. He's been looking at outs. I don't, at the moment, I don't see that he has the out to Manchester United or Paris Saint-Germain for, for the reasons that Bale is more likely to go to Manchester United and Paris Saint-Germain have got financial fair play issues. So I think he will stay at Madrid this summer. Ian, Neymar. Um, okay. <clears throat> it looks like um, he has the golden handcuffs at PSG, Johnny, and that it would be a huge um, uh, volta facie for um, the Qatari owners at the club to um, allow him to leave. However, uh, I think we see in Neymar a troubled and troublesome character who realises he's made a mistake in, um, in coveting the money. 
Uh, I think everything will depend on whether or not Real Madrid can offload uh, one of or more Ronaldo, Bale, Benzema. Uh, I think we've discussed obviously on the podcast that Bale is the most likely, in which case they free up enough funds, I think, to give them a head start in terms of what Neymar would demand in salary. Look, I wouldn't want to be um, sort of, uh, I don't want to say it's definitely yes or definitely no. But what I will say is that it will continue to run through uh, this summer. And I would say there's a 20% chance that Neymar will be a Real Madrid player um, come the closure of this transfer window. For anyone that's wondering, Volta Facci was a member of the 1982 Italy World Cup winning squad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Have you been watching on the History Channel? It's been brilliant. (laughs) It's been absolutely phenomenal. Duncan, uh, David De Gea. David De Gea, another one that remains open um, with this rebuild at Real Madrid. Um, Contract situation is uh, questionable at Manchester United in that he again feels he's he's not being paid what he merits, having been their best player for effectively five seasons in a row um, and not having been offered an upgrade as his contract gets near to its um, conclusion. Um, he will be a Real Madrid player at some time in the future. I'm, I'm confident of that because he's got a long career ahead of him. Whether it's this summer or not, I think uh, Manchester United and Jose Mourinho will resist. I suspect Madrid will, will, will target the resources elsewhere. So probably he stays one more year, at least at Manchester United. Gareth Bale. He leaves. I'm willing to put my neck on the line on this one, Johnny. Um, I think he's become very frustrated at Real Madrid this season. I think um, his, his his mind has moved on from remaining a Real Madrid player. I think that Manchester United and Bayern Munich are the two clubs who will contend for his signature and will succeed in getting him out of the Bernabeu. Um, his wages remain something of a stumbling block, but... I think he's coming to the peak of his career and therefore he's worth it. So I'd say Bale will move. And obviously he's not playing in the World Cup with Wales, but he's in this World Cup transfer window, which makes it a lot easier for him logistically to make that move. A player that we first brought up a few months back that uh, any FIFA, FIFA Ultimate Team players out there will know is an absolute beast and an incredible player in that game is Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. I think he will move, um, and I say that because Lazio are desperate to sell him. This is um, this is one of those classic transfer window ploys where you see the president of a club trying to raise the price of a player who he's decided should be sold by leaking stories to the media. So we've already had um, Manchester United um, having an offer accepted for Milinkovic-Savic. That's been reported, and. Um, the other week, uh, uh, that offer apparently went up to 110 million euros, whether that was from Manchester United or another club, but Lazio leaked out that they'd had an offer of 110 million euros from Milinkovic Savic. The reality is they haven't had an offer of 110 million euros. Um, they'd like to have an offer of 110 million euros or more, and they're hoping they can, um, they can rein someone in through the window um, who will pay them that. Because they want to sell, I think he will go. Eventually, but I, um, I I suspect they might not raise uh, that degree of transfer fee for a, a guy who there are significant questions about um, amongst uh, the major clubs who've been scouting him. They like his talent, but 
there's question marks over his personality and there's question marks over what actually is his best position. And finally, we talked about him at the start of the show, Antoine Griezmann. Antoine, we scared the cat. Um, no, don't, I don't think he will move. <clears throat> I think Duncan's information is absolutely um, correct. If someone's having second thoughts about moving to Barcelona, having turned down Manchester United, then you know it will take uh, a lot more courage on his part to um, to make that move. Um, and at the same time, I think he's running out of time to let's just say realize his his greatness. Maybe as uh, the great Zlatan might say. Uh, you do not comprehend my genius. Um, and I think if anyone's to comprehend uh, Griezmann's genius, then he needs to move club uh, and he's still this summer. But I don't expect it to happen. And on that, I will bring this transfer window to a close. Uh, to continue the debate, you can. We're all on Twitter. I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane. Duncan is at, at Duncan Castles. And Ian is rather bizarrely, but, you know, these things happen, at Garbo SJ. If you like the show, you can do two things. You can subscribe via iTunes or Acast to get every single episode the moment they get released and review and rate them on there too. Now, if you really love the pod, we're also looking for a sponsor. So if you like the idea of your company being aligned with us, do get in touch. We'll be back next week before 3pm. Until next time, thanks for listening.